Welcome back in everyone to another fantastic episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined by two fantastic artists with a great show to kick off your fall season. Joining us today, we have the playwright and filmmaker Kate DeGentis and the director Rosie Gunther, whose new work, Sex Work, Sex Play, is playing September 6th through October 29th at the 28th Street Theater, also known as Tada. And you can get your tickets and more information by visiting emergingartisttheater.org. And when we say this is a great show to kick off your fall season, we are not kidding. This is the way to come back to the theater for the fall, really settle in with a great show that's going to make you laugh, that's really going to have a great story. But I'm doing a terrible job of explaining it. So let's bring on the experts on this. Katha, Rosie, welcome. Hey. (laughs) Hi, thank you for having us on your fabulous show. Thank Thank you you. so much. I'm so excited to talk about this because as we spoke before we started, this has been on our radar since, you know, the first part of the summer. And I was like, all right, as much as I'm loving the summer, (laughs) except for right now when we're recording and it's a thousand degrees on the sun, you know, I was like, come on, fall. Come on, fall. Because this show, it just, it sounds fantastic. It is. And and I would say the play is too hot for the summer. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Just a tint. So why don't we go ahead and kick things off with you, Kefa, and and you telling us a little bit about what the show Sex Work, Sex Play is about. Yeah, well, it's a comedic farce. And again, since you mentioned me as a filmmaker, I would say it's in the vein of films like Crazy Stupid Love and Love Actually that deals with the conundrum of love and connection and relationships and sex ah, in today's internet pervasive times where basically everything is a swipe away and you know how transactional things are and i you know it's it's a world five characters that are interconnected or seemingly so at the beginning it's cross generational we have a divorced mother her college-age daughter, suburban husband and wife, and then a male sex worker, you know, with a heart of gold that's also a personal trainer. So, I mean, that sounds like a perfect little nuclear family right there, you know, no no harm, no foul. (laughs) (laughs) But how did you come up with the idea for the show? Well, yeah, so it has a really interesting genesis. During the pandemic, a a theater company asked me to do a monologue because, as you know, we were trying to find very different ways to do theater, and these monologues would be videotaped. And I was put into an interview with an actor, and the director was giving us these sort of prompts. And one of the prompts was to the actors, if you could be anybody, what would you be? And he said, a porn star, you know, as a joke. And I mean, and he was the most endearing character. And so I created this monologue about basically this porn star getting ready for a date. Well, you don't know it is. At the beginning, there's a, a young man in a barber shop who's preparing for a date with a woman he's met on an app. And he's super nervous and he's explaining to the barber that he's looking for romantic love and making love and it's something he hasn't done and he can't remember how and he's super nervous and then at the end the punchline is that he's a porn star and to me I wanted to talk about how porn in many ways is this unrealistic idealization of sex where 
you know, culture and social media has presented a pretty idealized, unattainable look at romance. And I just thought it was fun to kind of play with both those worlds. And the story sort of lived with me for a while after it was said, I'm like, I feel like there's more to this. I feel like this guy in search of romantic love who works in the sex trade is an interesting story. And then true to my stories, somehow a mother came into it because I was like, okay, what would be this guy has this idealized point of view of romantic love. Who would be down on love? And I was like, oh, a divorced middle-aged woman would be the most person who's down on love. And so I was like, okay, the, how am I going to bring these two people into the same world? A woman who's given up on love and this other character who's so desperate to find it. And then when I was like, okay, how do I bring them together? This is the world. And then, you know, when I was doing research, when you tell people, oh, what are you writing about? I'm like, oh, I'm writing about sex. And all of a sudden you get a lot of people like, oh, tell me more. And so the, then all of a sudden I was with my softball team and there was a young girl, young girls we passed that were talking about sugar dating. And a young girl on my team said, oh, my sister does that. And I was like, huh. And she was like, yeah, it's like not really a big deal for younger people, this, you know, sort of transactional dating and that it helps pay her bills. And so it's like, okay, I've got this divorced mother. Maybe this is her college age daughter. And this sort of story took form because I don't want to give too much away. But to me, I wanted to look at uh, all of this kind of through a feminist point of view through like and I also call it the mother gaze because they talk about the male gaze this mother gaze and look at just how agency and how we've all look at dating and love and can be sort of cynical in many ways that it it's all somewhat transactional but ultimately it's like again those other movies there's a very happy ending a very and, different and, kind of happy ending <laughs> and I just have to interject it fortunately for the I think it's it morphed into a, a story about the mother, I would say. It's the young man, sex worker, slash their, you know, personal trainer is kind of becomes a secondary, but very important character, but secondary character. So it really is a sh it really is a show about a woman of a certain age who's extremely relatable. And to me, the show is about relationships because that's as a director that's what I like to grasp onto it's about relationships whether you like the person or you don't like the person not that it's that simple and of course one of the lines that reappears many times in the script is nobody tells the truth so I think as a society now we have this idea well that's my truth that's their truth that's my truth They're like well where, where is the truth where <laughs> There's three sides to every story. Where is the truth? So where is the love? <laughs> where is the love? Where is the truth? What are these relationships? What are the difficulties in relationships, which everybody faces? So Katha calls it a farce, which it is. However, I think it's the characters are very relatable, extremely. Everybody that comes to the show will recognize themselves in one or more of the characters. I, I truly believe that. And whether they want to admit it or not, they will recognize themselves because they're very clearly drawn. Their through lines are very clear. It's it's very evident what, what they all want and desire. 
and and it's basic it's human basic needs that everybody has and it's kind of presented in this funny farcical way but it's also very very real and very realistic and really speaks i think will speak to everyone in the audience i think that's what's one of the aspects that's very exciting about this particular play and of course we cast it and we have a phenomenal cast so we'll really i think the the way that i'm anticipating the words really springing off the page and coming to life is is going to be really exciting so that's fantastic oh i love that rosie i want to stick with you and ask what as the director what has it been like developing sex work sex play well, Kate and I go way back in our relationship and friendship. Many, many years, we've for probably 15 years, we've been working on a variety of projects together. So we're very comfortable with one another. We've traveled together. We've had a lot of fun adventures. So Kate has been workshopping the show for about a year and a half now. She had several, a few readings that I was not involved in initially. And then last spring, early summer, she decided, I want to bring, I want to bring a reading of the script to the suburbs to see how it will play in the suburbs. Maybe it's because there are some parts that are perhaps a little racy. You wouldn't want to bring your 12 year olds to the show. So she said, I would like to see how it plays in the suburbs and if it has legs and, you know, if we can get an audience for this kind of material. So at the beginning of last summer, we did a workshop out in the suburbs where I live and and I helped Katha produce it. We got our location. We got audience. You know, we did the whole thing. And then the last minute, I ended up playing the role of the mom because of the circumstances with the actress at the time. Unfortunately, she had some a personal issue and couldn't actually do the reading that night. So I stepped into the shoes as pro- I was initially producer. I had already seen the reading once, so I was familiar-ish with the script. And then I jumped in to read the role of the mom, and I felt that I you know, I connected with the role. I connected with the material. I connected with the role. And it was very evident from the reaction of the audience that we needed to do a full production of this show, that it it definitely had legs. It deserved a full production. It's producible. It's five characters. It's a simple set. You know, the whole, all those compact, all those things that make it a show producible now, unfortunately, but, you know, kind of had all those elements. And so then, you know, eventually as, as we got closer to producing the show, Katha asked me to come on as the director, which was, which is just such a great honor. And uh, I'm thrilled to be working on it. So. Love that. Wow. I love the way the show has just come together. This is amazing. Yeah. Now, Katha, let me bounce back to you real quick. I want to know, we've been having a lot of fun. We've been joking and everything. This is a fun show, but is there a message or a thought going along with it you're hoping that your audiences will take away? Well, I mean, and what I was thinking about, like, not really so much a message because I like to use, you know, like, say, like, as kind of a mirror to put up to people. And I really did when I was taking on this material, I wanted to be very honest about it. And that's why when we're talking about the quote unquote provocative, I mean, there is a pervasiveness of porn. There is the, you know, sugar dating and sex, you know, different forms of sex work. And I just want to say OnlyFans to me was really fascinating because OnlyFans became incredibly popular 
during the pandemic. And what I found about OnlyFans that I found as a creator so interesting was that it breaks down a wall. Is that basically, and it was sort of like the lines were blurred and everything where you get, you know, there's, you get these people to subscribe and you have an intimate relationship. And many of the people in OnlyFans are sex workers. So all of a sudden you have one, it's a direct relationship, meaning, a, you know, direct to the consumer kind of thing where Pornhub and other things are taken out of it, but you're directly communicating and having a real in-person relationship. And I thought, you know, just these lines of, of connection were being blurred. And so I did want to take many of these taboo topics like, you know, being a sugar baby, being a sex worker, and present it in a way that was very non-judgmental you know presenting it like there are monologues throughout the play which is where the audience sort of talks to you know sort of presents their case to the audience so that was what i what i'm hoping is that people will look at dating and relationship and sex work differently and also how different generations view it and that that's kind of the takeaway it's just that and a lot of I'd invited to these readings some sex therapists and couples therapists. And they're like, Hey, though, what's great about this play is that you're taking these taboo topics and first you're using humor, which makes things a lot, you know, easier. And you're also putting it in a way that people can talk about. And we had so many young act actresses want to be the daughter. And some of them ha had reached out to me directly going, thank you so much for presenting a story about a young girl who dates sort of transactionally in a way that is not with judgment, you know, and that it's from our point of view. And it's something, you know, you have conversations in your play. I wish I could have with my mother, you know, because the mother daughter relationship sort of bookends this kind of crazy story that unfolds. And it's yeah, in the, in, in the realm of it not being judgmental and it's a generational thing too, right? Like, those subjects are much more accessible and much more talked about now, obviously, than they were 20 years ago, you know, and I think everyone is experiencing that now in relationships where they're talking about things that, you know, certainly our parents would never talk to their kids about. They would, that those conversations would never, ever come up in a million years. But I think we live in a society now where no topic is, goes on, you know, unspoken anymore. Everything gets talked about. And I think that's a good thing. You know, it's a good thing that people are open and talking about things and talking about, you know, this is what's right for me. This is what's right for my body. This is, you know, this please don't judge this because of an old fashioned notion that you have about sex or relationships. So society has certainly changed. And I think this script reflects, reflects a society that's much more open to talking about things that 10, even 10 years ago, we wouldn't talk about in public necessarily. And I think it, it I think it's reflective of what's going on in today's world and with today's young people and how they want to be perceived and they're gender fluid and sex is just sex and it's not it's trans it can be transactional. It doesn't have to be you don't have to be in love with someone, you know, all these notions that have been kind of the norm for for many, many generations. And I think I do think this show is very reflective of what, what's going on now. And I think that's a real positive. 
Yeah. And just jumping on that, which is true where how, but still at the end of the day, like, cause I like to say it's as sweet as it is spicy, you know, that's the perfect snack. And you know, that ultimately connection and talking and everybody's sort of closer and sort of found who they are and believe in love in the end. And that's where it's kind of people sort of lost and confused uh, in, in, in this space and they've sort of reclaimed a part of themselves um, at the end. I love all that. But I just want to throw out because what was important to me, we're organizing some talkbacks after some of the Wednesday shows, one with this woman who has a nonprofit called Old Pros, which is a nonprofit that is, you know, advocates to show sex work in a less judgmental light and also to make it, you know, they call it the oldest profession is just that a profession. If we can, you know, if they are considered true workers, because most, many of sex workers, it is a completely consensual, you know, uh, thing where they might talk about the sex traffic and stuff, but many women who are in it, and there is kind of a feminist point of view on all that and the whole history of, of, of prostitution has a very interesting way that women really was a way that they could make a living and not outside of the patriarchy in many ways. But we're going to have talkbacks with her. Another one that will talk about the truth about pornography, because I think that's a hot button where people are getting a lot of different information. So we're getting experts in the field. And we just kind of wrapped on having a singles night, a singles mingle on September 22nd, because a divorced friend of mine was saying, you know, the whole hard thing about dating is what do you do on these dates? You know, you kind of meet for coffee. It's like an interview. We need ideas. So what we're doing is a singles mingle sponsored by Talkify, which is kind of a matchmaking platform. And it'll be all full of singles people. And then they'll be, they're going to bring in a celebrity to be part of a fun little talk back and then we're going to have drinks after so we thought what what wouldn't be a better date and, and a great conversation starter than single people watching a play about sex and connection so you know we're trying to do things to take it to the next level well that is a perfect lead into my final question for this first part and i'm going to start with you rosie on that who do you hope have access to the show oh that's a good question I, as I, I mentioned earlier, I think most people who come to see this show will relate to at least one of the characters. I think because some of the material is a little bit sexual in content, I would say it's, you know, again, you wouldn't want to bring your teenagers to it necessarily, but I think- Or, college, or younger. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm saying college age up. I probably won't bring my 91-year-old mother-in-law to the show, even though she does come to most of my shows. I probably won't bring her to the show. I don't even know if I'll tell her the name of the show that I'm directing. So I think it's, you know, because it, it we cover married couple, we have a young person in the show, and we have a middle-aged woman in the show who's the lead, the lead character. So it really will, it really is going to appeal to, it will appeal to a very wide ranging audience, I believe, other than people who are perhaps a little prudish and don't want to, and there's no sex on stage, by the way, that's what someone else comes and like, wait, there's no sex in the show. 
No, there's and, not. There's just and, talk of sex. <laughs> and there's no nudity. But I mean, and also and no we nudity. really um, haven't um, talked about these because it sounds like we're talking about the women characters, but the catalyst character is the suburban husband who's sort of the second lead in the show. We just sort of from a spoiler place, we haven't really told you much about it. But when we did the reading in Ridgewood and, you know, in the city, men like really are an audience for two and they really identified with some of the challenges that this character dave goes through who becomes you know the sort of, kind of the antagonist and yeah well not really but he's just i mean sort of a catalyst complicated character that becomes the foil that's the word i was looking for he's sort of the foil to the divorce mother and the two of them really are the center of the play so after it was really funny after the reading in suburbia one of the guests came up to me and he goes he just had pulled me in the corner he goes oh my god that guy i know that guy i am that guy and it was like oh okay <laughs> so i do think you know there's definitely an appeal when to what was rosie was saying is that you know the, it's a male sex worker which i think so many times in art, we see the female sex worker story. And I really, it was important to me to show a male sex worker. So, of you know, it's three women and two men. And so all their, you know, men are as important an audience to us. up for the second part of this interview i want to let our audiences get to know you two a little bit better i want to start by asking you two what or who inspires you what playwrights composers or shows have inspired you in the past or are some of your favorites and katha why don't we stick with you first on this one yeah well i you know i thought about that i mean i would say i mean i love edward alvey because that is like, I love that sort of theater of the absurd, as well as like uh, Noel Coward. I mean, he did some great fun and turned things upside down, you know. And and then I would say Richard Curtis, who's in a filmmaker space. But I, you know, I really like contemporary character conscious playwrights that tell things about, a con you know, something that's going on today. And I mean, I really enjoy dramas too, even though I, and I think there's always drama in my comedies. So I would say, and then Beckett. I mean, when I'm always at a loss for what I'm going to write, I go to the existentialist. So I'm a big fan of Samuel Beckett as well. That's a wonderful list. I love that. <laughs> Rosie, how about you? I, I'm, I'm very old school. <laughs> so I love the classic playwrights. I love Thornton Wilder. I, I, you know, dare I admit Our Town is my favorite all-time show ever. I think it just speaks, it goes, it just, the way that it speaks to the world a hundred years after it was written, I just, I find it so profound. I love Thornton Wilder. I love Tennessee Williams. I love Ibsen Strindberg. I kind of gravitate towards the Arthur Miller, you know, if you can consider him old time, but where they just captured so much drama and angst and realism and you know all that. I'm 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 very into the naturalistic realism kind of approach to theater. That's really what. And I just love 
But on the other hand, I love supporting young artists. I love seeing these one people shows. I just saw a show that's coming to New York, hopefully next year. My son is queer, but so what? Oh my God, it's it's such a beautiful one woman, one person show. A friend of mine is producing that. So I had the, I had the honor of going to see that in a little preview performance as they're trying to get funding for that show. So you know, I, I, I kind of, I'm kind of all over the place, but I, I definitely gravitate towards the more classic old fashioned writers, if you will. I love that list though. I love it. Well, that is a great way to lead into my next question, which is have either of you seen any great theater lately? You might be able to recommend to our listeners. Yeah. Well, I just saw here lies love in the previews that just opened. So, and I got to see it at the public theater. I mean, I'm a huge fan, you know, especially what Rosie was saying about watching new works be, you know, brought together and, and nurtured. So, I mean, I think here lies love is a really amazing theatrical experience. And then I also saw Eisenhower, which is a one man show, which was, an amazing piece of art. So it's, you could go from something like so kind of, you know, like big as Here Lies Love where they've redone the theater and really tell an interesting story with a whole Filipino cast. I mean, you know, with David Byrne music and Fatboy Slim and then seeing Eisenhower, which is, you know, one actor telling his story. And then Rosie and I saw this one woman show downtown, which was so much fun. Yeah, it what was, was called, that? The, you know, it was called One Woman Show. <laughs> it was hilarious. It yeah. was great. And it said, I, you know, I hope I turn into something big. I mean, my, I think I, I have to recommend just go see anything local. Go support your local artists and your theater in whatever way that you can, whether it's a little free concert in the park or, you know, a free show in the park or whatever it is. I just, I, I just, there, you never, it's never a bad idea, right? You never come away from a show or a concert or a play thinking, oh, I wish I didn't go to that. So I just encourage the audience to really find whatever's happening in your area and just go to it, just support it. Be a good audience, be a good listener. You know, I think we're in a world where we do so much on our phones and we're only a swipe away and we're not really paying attention. We're multitasking and we're doing 19 things at once. But if you go sit in an audience and sit in a theater and really just listen, you could be transported. Just let yourself be transported. Turn your phone off. Put it on silence. Whatever it is, do not disturb. And just go and be a good audience wherever wherever you may live. Just go support live, whatever's happening live. It's so important as we come back post-pandemic. You know, and a lot of the New York theater scene is not affordable for a lot of people. So if you have an opportunity in your local communities to support something that's more affordable, those artists need it just as much. So that's my my advice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now more than ever, it's important yeah. to support local and nonprofit theater yeah. right now. And guess what? It's open. It's open, unlike film and TV, who we strongly yes. support SAG-AFTRA and the WGA. Yes. But if you need some entertainment, the theater is wide open right down the street mm-hmm. from you. So make sure you support that now. I love that you, you said that. So thank you for that. 
I want to stick with you, Rosie, first on this next question and ask, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? Goodness. Well, I, I, I may have mentioned earlier, it's about relationships, whether it's on the page or in the rehearsal room. So for me, the opportunity to, to work with good actors, I mean, it's such a gift. It makes my job so easy. And I just am always thrilled hearing someone else's point of view. You know, I have my very strong points of view when I read a script, but then someone else, another, an actor or stage manager, somebody will say, oh, I thought this is what it meant. And I just love kind of talking through those points and, and getting to the meat of the material. So I just have to say it's working with the actors working with the crew. I love all the backstage part of doing shows as well. I love lighting. I love set stuff. I love costume. You know, I love all that detail and just working with different people and different sensibilities and creativities. And, you know, it's such a gift, right? It's, I mean, what a lucky industry to be in and to work with people who have so many different creative sides to them and bring so much life to material that is deserving of of a performance and a whole package and a whole thing and a whole great night so what a wonderful answer i love that katha how about you well yeah i mean it's sort of stating the obvious especially from my vantage point it's the audience (laughs) so i mean it's all the stuff you know that rosie has said and the thing that's So as an independent filmmaker, you really don't have the time to have your actors. First of all, they're not shot linear. So actors don't get to have the journey that they do. So for me, kind of piggybacking on what Rosie said, just to have these actors go on a journey when they read your script and become these characters and have this rehearsal process to ask these questions and challenge the truth And many times I'm like, no, come to me and tell me what you're thinking. And if, you know, if maybe you're seeing this character differently. And I, and so I do love the journey that an actor gets the gift of going on by taking these characters that, you know, I've, I've created, but, you know, obviously, especially when you write comedy, the audience, and that, I mean, and that's what I think is so what makes live performance art so amazing is that it is the audience is as much a character as the people on the stage and you don't get that in film or television it's static and that's what I think is amazing about theater is there's nothing static about it it's it moves and you're never going to get the exact same performance every night and you're not going to get the same audience every night and it's that's where to me is the sort of alchemy of it all I also love that. What a wonderful answer as well. Two great answers. (laughs) We've now arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, and that is, what is your favorite theater memory? Well, I had two answers. So one was when the first show I was ever in, when I was 11 years old, I was in a drama at my little regional theater in Albany, New York, Albany Civic Theater. And when that show closed, closing day, I cried my head off for hours. And I just thought, oh, this is 
what I need to be doing with the rest of my life because I love crying so much, I guess. <laughs> but I just, it was so emotional. I was the only kid in the show. I was with all adults the whole time, but it was such an amazing experience that I will never, and that was clearly why I chose to continue to be in theater the rest of my life because it had such an impact emotionally on me. And then the funny story was going, my first Broadway show was Pippin, which as a 11 year old was very, you know, kind of a racy show in the 1970s. And Ben Vereen played the, you know, the MC, the lead character or whatever on, in that show. And there's the end and the magic trick. And they try to call you up on stage and they try to get someone up. And I was in the second row. My big regret is I didn't get up on stage to do that magic trick. But fast forward a million late years later, thanks to Keitha, I was in a movie with Ben Green. So that was my full circle moment. <laughs> wow. Broadway with him, but I got to be in a movie with him. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> wow. That's oh funny. Gosh, that's amazing. Can I ask what movie was it? Yeah, well, it was, yeah, it was my film. It was And Then Came Love, and it starred Vanessa Williams and Eartha Kitt, and it was a romantic comedy, and Ben Vereen's agent, like, like, hey, you got a part for Ben? And, yeah, he was in Ridgewood, New Jersey, playing the donor. It's it's a complicated story, but he he was a cameo. It was a great cameo. That's incredible, though. Wow. (laughs) I love that. What an amazing memory. Thank you, Rosie. Sure. Katha, what about you? What's your favorite theater memory? You know, it's so funny. I don't, I, I, I was really struggling with that question because I just, I find it's all such an awesome thing and um, that I don't have that one, one big moment. And so I feel like, oh, Rosie, can I have one of her answers? I think but, you're about to get it when we have our full production. Of the well, show. that's I what I'm just saying. <laughs> the thing that has been that has stuck with me has been in. And again, the, I've had this is a, the, I've only this is my second play. I'm really an emerging playwright because the first play that Rosie was in and actually did a reading of was like 10 or 12 years ago. And it had a a regional uh, two-week production. And it was similar where I was looking, taking a real-life situation, which is about suburban sports culture, and holding it up to the audience. And when I was like, the play was opening, and it was about this, you know, the insanity of suburban sports. And it was, again, it was very Beckett and Machiavellian. And it was a little bit like a real, like, Black comedy. And then I was like, oh, my God, I these people are going to hate me. These are them on stage and to like, they're, they're flawed. And that's where I like to write real people, but that have flaws, which is, you know, they're, and I was, and at the end, everybody's like, we love this play. And a couple of years later, people are like, I can't get that play out of my head. So that I guess like, and that happened again in the Ridgewood reading of this play, Sex Work, Sex Play, where I went to Rosie, I'm like, oh my God, what was I thinking? Because there is a suburban couple. I'm like, this may be too close to home for some people in this audience. You know, is this same thing going to happen where they're going to judge me? And and again, it was the same thing where people came up to me after going, Kate, like you had us cringing, but we were like, oh my God, you know, we know these people and thank you. So I guess that's kind of my best answer to it is when knowing these times in a live space where 
my art, which sometimes can push some things, some boundaries can connect, you know, connect. I love that answer though. That's wonderful. Thank you both for sharing those. Those were wonderful. Do either of you have any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug for you? I'm working on a short because I did a, a festival last year called Gold Standard Arts Festival that celebrated artists over 50 because it felt like there's a lot of festivals that, you know, highlight different marginalized groups. And I was like, oh, older people are not part of that equation. So we did that festival and it was very ambitious, but we had some budget left over. And, and so my partner on that, we are doing a short documentary called Upper West Side Story. So it's West Side Stories, but Upper West Side Stories, where we're showcasing three artists who live on the Upper West Side that are over 50, you know, some much older and just sharing their story. So it's a short doc that will be done sometime late fall. That's fantastic. I'd love to see that. Yeah. And then one of them is actually, because when Rosie was saying is the Hudson Theater, which does the kind of cla Hudson Classical Theater that does the plays in Riverside Park. So when Rosie was talking about, you know, and then there's public art, I saw their importance of being earnest and it was fabulous. And they do three shows every summer at, you know, at for donations and it's, and they do such great work and they're, you know, Suzanne, you know, we were highlighted, you know, focusing on them. Oh, that's wonderful. As well as two other artists. <laughs> well, finally, if our listeners want more information about sex work, sex play, or about either of you, Perhaps they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that? Katha.com. You can reach me on Instagram, Rosie, R-O-S-I-E dot McCooey, M-C-C-O-O-E. And you could send me a message on my Instagram. That would be great. I'd love to hear from any and all of you. And of course, we have our own Insta profile for the show, Sex Work, Sex Play. So follow us on Instagram as well. And we'll be updating it with pictures and updates on our Wednesday night talkbacks and ticket specials and all kinds of things. So that'd be great. And we're also in repertoire with two other shows. So Emerging Artists, Emerging Artists Theater, which has been run by Paul Adams for the last 30 years, is turning 30 in September. So we actually run in repertoire with two other shows and Being Frank and Doris Day. So we, our show runs three nights, four nights a week, and the other shows have the alternate schedule. So again, in the spirit of promoting and are uh, contributing and or helping out, you know, the smaller theater companies, it would be great to have, of course, we want you to come to our show first, but perhaps, you know, consider going to the other shows as well. They're obviously very different topics. One's a biography about, uh, about Doris Day which is being directed by Paul Adams and the other. No, it's not. He wrote it. He's not. Oh, I see. I thought he was directing it as well. No. Okay. And then the other is Anne being Frank, which is obvious what that's about. So very different, but we're part of that, the season, the anniversary season, which is really kind of, which is really a wonderful thing. And the fact that Paul has been running this theater for 30 years is really, is really commendable. It's really, it's really such a cool thing. 
And it's a great little space. It's a nice little theater. It's a great location, 2015 West 28th Street, second floor. So super easy to access, 99 seat theater. And we hope to have a sellout crowd at every show. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, Kate, Rosie, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time and all this information about this great show. I can't wait to see it. It's going to be a great time. So thank you both so much. Oh, thank you. That was wonderful. And it was, yeah. it, it's nice. You know, you think these things, but to actually get them out and verbalize them is really a gift. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And we will, yeah, no, we love being part of your show. Thank you so much. My guest today has been the playwright and filmmaker, Keitha Gentis, and the director, Rosie Gunther, whose new work, Sex Work, Sex Play, is playing September 6th through October 29th at the 28th Street Theater, also known as Tada. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting emergingartisttheater.org, and that's theater with an R-E. We also have several contact information spots for our guests and their show, which we'll be posting on our episode description and our social media posts. And we'll also keep you posted on when we are attending the show so we can make it a stage whispered night out at the theater. You can join us for this great show and then for a lovely talk back at a nearby bar or restaurant or what have you. It'll be a great night. We'll just hang out and see this great show. Sex work, sex play. Get your tickets now, EmergingArtistTheater.org, playing September 6th through October 29th. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, keep talking about theater, in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is DJ by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.